We turn our attention now to the story from Exodus chapter 3. This is the story of Moses. And I shall give a little bit of context because a lot happens in the first couple chapters of Exodus. The story of Moses is a narrative that is writ large on the historic imagination of the Bible. Most people might be familiar with the vague outlines of this story, even if not from actually reading the Bible, maybe from one of the cinematic depictions, as in Cecil D. Cecil B. DeMille's uh, Ten Commandments or the animated Prince of Egypt ten years ago, and there is an, even an upcoming epic starring Christian Bale called Exodus, if you would like to have more biblical interpretation for you. By the time we get to the events of today's reading in chapter 3, a lot has happened with the Hebrews in, in Egypt. They have been enslaved. They are being forced to make bricks out of, out of straw, Pharaoh fears them and fears their numbers and so has ordered all infant boys to be killed at birth. But not everyone has listened to his orders. Two midwives particularly are named and they defy his commands and they help save the baby Moses. Now Moses' mother, in order to keep him alive, puts him on a basket on the river Nile and sends him on his way. It is a courageous and scary act. But the basket makes it into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter, who also disobeys her father and takes Moses into her household and raises him as her own. And Moses grows up actually having his own mother act as his nursemaid. And we don't know much about his upbringing, but we can assume he looks like an Egyptian because later he is mistaken for one. At some point, It begins to dawn on Moses that the world might not be all that he imagined it to be when he was at home in Pharaoh's palace. The Bible tells us he begins to see. And this word see is not just simply something you do with your eyes. It is a word that is used over and over again to convey something about Moses' spiritual, psychological development. The word for see and appear, will be, you'll be able to hear it at least ten times in nine verses in the opening chapter of, uh, in, sorry, in Exodus 3, in those opening verses. So Moses sees the oppression of the Hebrew people, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew man, and he strikes out against him, and he kills him, and he hides the body. And he thinks he has gotten away with it, but he realizes he has been seen. And so he flees. He flees Egypt and ends up in Midian, where he runs into a group of women and protects them from their harassers. And they are so grateful that their father invites Moses back home and offers one of the daughters in marriage. And so Moses settles down with this family in Midian. Already, in just this one chapter, we have seen Moses has an inclination to take matters of justice into his own two hands. This is the point where we arrive at in today's reading. Let us listen for the word of God found in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 and verse 10. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. 
He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why this bush is not being burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder if you have ever been disappointed. Very disappointed. I wonder if you've ever come to a moment in your life when it feels like all the foundations on which you built your understanding were crumbling around you and you could do nothing about it. I wonder if you've had a time when all the justifications that you happily spent your life believing had just been revealed as broken, flawed, unjust. I wonder if you've ever seen injustice and then gotten angry, angry enough to feel a fire in your gut, a burning in your hands, a fierce redness behind your eyes, angry enough to make you want to strike out, whether you did or not. And I wonder if this anger has ever gotten you into trouble, deep trouble, Trouble that made you afraid, made you flee the scene, made you get away fast until you left behind all that you knew and found a place where no one knew your name or the mistakes you had made in the past. Or maybe you have just decided at some point in your life to pretend that you were blissfully, ignorantly happy rather than begin to imagine the hurt and pain in the world. If you resonate with any of these experiences, then you are not alone. You join Moses, who when we meet him in this text is wandering and wandering in that desert with his flock of sheep. Moses is far away from his birthplace, settling into a nice little stack of tasks laid out for him by Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest. Moses is living with those of the Midianite religion. He seems to have left behind any Jewish faith he might have had. And we can imagine he might now be working hard to avoid thinking about the oppression of the Hebrew people back in Egypt or even avoid thinking about and wrestling with the privilege of his own unique upbringing in Pharaoh's palace. Maybe Moses is hoping to continue as usual, tending sheep, moving them back and forth across the mountain of Horeb. 
Then Moses sees something, a thorn bush. And it is a thorn bush which seems to be a flame like a messenger of God. And yet the flames do not devour it. Moses sees this confusing thing and feels awe, and it makes him pause for a moment, deciding what to do next. I wonder what you might do. After all, we must remember, Moses already has a plan. He needs to tend this flock, get them to their next eating place, get them safe, and then get home to dinner, keep his father-in-law happy. Also, Moses already has a history. Last time he decided to peer more closely at a situation, he regretted it. He learned some things he didn't want to know. He discovered some things about oppression, and he ended up striking someone. Last time he looked more closely, he fled for his life with blood on his hands. No, Moses has very good reasons to keep walking, eyes on the path, not straying from the plan. Moses can keep going, or he can turn aside. What would you do? Moses turns aside as we read, and note this, God has not spoken to Moses yet. It is only after Moses takes a few steps from his intended path does the Lord speak. The Lord says Moses' name. When Moses hears this, he does not run, he does not hide. He stays, and he says, here I am. The Lord then names the ground on which they stand as holy and commands Moses to take off his sandals. See, this human is being asked to show respect to what is divine. Moses, who grew up in the palace of Egyptian privilege where the Pharaoh was considered divine, is being asked to remove his shoes and acknowledge instead God's holy power. One scholar writes about this, She says, the articles with which we clothe our bodies always mean more than simple covering or protection. Sandals protected the sole of the foot, but also could symbolize purity, property, social contracts, and social status. Sandals discovered in the tomb of one pharaoh bore the image of foreign captives upon the insole, proclaiming with the king's every step that Egyptian royal power would triumph over the peoples and nations his armies had subdued. When Moses is told to remove his sandals, it is as if God is saying, draw away the covering that has protected you. Clear away the barrier between yourself and the earth so that your bare feet may touch and sink and take root in this holy ground. Moses listens. He removes his sandals, and then the Lord continues to speak, saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. With this statement, Moses is given something profound. He is given an identity and a heritage. Remember, this is the man who has been dislocated since birth, who was raised calling his mother a nursemaid and the daughter of his would-be executor, mother. 
This man is neither a prophet nor a priest at this point, but simply a refugee and a criminal. Yet this man is also being named and claimed as God's own. I am the God of your father. These words remind Moses of the pantheon of his Hebrew ancestors. They locate Moses firmly in a time and a place and a people. No matter what he does or how far he runs, Moses cannot escape the Lord of hosts, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who hears the cries of the people and will be their deliverer. Moses can hide from injustice, feeling helpless, and nursing his own disappointment and guilt. He can go on carefully tending his own flock of sheep on that mountain. But God does not want to leave him there. God does not want any of us to stay in our hiding places. The Lord is determined to get our attention, maybe through a burning bush, or maybe it is through a passion for a cause that burns in your heart, or maybe it is through the unexpected encouragement of a friend that somehow blazes in your mind. God will get our attention and show us that we are not isolated, alone, and hidden out of sight. We are being named and called into service. We are intended for a purpose that is bigger than we planned. Two weeks ago, I heard Dr. John R. Lumpkin speak at the Chautauqua Institute in New York. Dr. Lumpkin is the senior vice president and director of healthcare group with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. He told the story of how a few years ago, a young patient was brought into his operating room with a gunshot wound to the chest. During the surgery, with his chest open, the young guy's heart stopped. Dr. Lumpkin, in desperation, reached into the kid's chest and took the heart into his hands, pumping it himself with his own fingers. As he did this, the other doctors were able to repair the hole and save the kid's life. Lumpkin says, I'd never had anything like that happen before. I thought, this is why I got into medicine, and I felt pretty good. Ten days later, I went to check up on the guy, feeling excited. I introduced myself to him, and the patient thanked me for saving his life. And then the young guy said, I'm really glad that you're good at your job, because the guy who shot me is going to be right back in here. Dr. Lumpkin says, That was the day I realized that health care isn't just about what happens in the operating room. He became convicted about the need to build stronger, healthier communities. His health group has spent years worshiping, years researching ways to do this. And Dr. Lumpkin didn't use religious language, but still his words do echo in this story of Moses and even in the stories of our own lives. As we look ahead to the start of fall activities, we can ask ourselves, when are the moments that we would rather stay in the operating room or up on that mountain? How is God trying to get our attention in surprising ways and revealing another path for us?
Moses in this text is learning that his life and work aren't just about him. He cannot take matters into his own hands and exert individual acts of retribution. He is connected to the work of justice that is happening in a much wider frame. Whether he intends it or not, he is caught up in the injustice that is happening elsewhere. And whether he likes it or not, God is asking Moses to help do something about it. Moses can continue to live as if all this doesn't matter. He can walk away and continue on with his day. Or he can acknowledge that he is on holy ground and that God is calling him. After all, in a few verses later, the Lord will be named Yahweh, the Lord who will be who I will be. And the Lord is and will be a God who does not stay, stay safely tucked away in some far-off heavenly place. God sees and knows intimately the people's suffering. And out of love for us human beings, this Lord is going to enter the world. This Lord is going to take on human flesh, the very stuff that was shaped from the ground on which Moses stands. This Lord is going to get involved in the muck of the world and reveal a much bigger picture of awe and wonder, a picture in which we are all asked to play a part. The Lord is Jesus Christ, come among us, God with us. And so as we head into the fall, as we, our lives pick up a momentum that will hurtle us through September and into January, let us remember a few things from this story of Moses. First, Moses sees something and turns aside. He witnesses and doesn't ignore it. Something amazes him and he stops and pays attention. This is countercultural in our fast-paced world and hard to do. Still, we can try. And indeed, all who have gathered here today are taking time to pay attention and worship together, stepping away from the rush of life for these moments in this place. Second thing we hear in this see in this story is Moses removes his sandals. He sheds his status, digs his toes into the earth, and enters into the act of worshiping God. He acknowledges that the Lord is the one in charge. Today, this is also hard to remember because there is much that demands our attention and our expectations. But God is Lord. Nothing else has abiding and holy power. Not coaches or sports schedules, not bosses or clients, not resume readers or admissions offices, not others' expectations or our own disappointments, or even the seduction of the social status quo. None of these things have abiding and holy power. God is the one who is in charge, and so we remove our sandals. Third thing we might remember from this story, Moses is being asked to get involved. He doesn't stay up on his mountain forever. He sees that God is calling him into something bigger than himself, something bigger than even his own past. 
He is to leave behind his violence and fear and enter into the work of showing people God's love and deliverance. Moses has made mistakes and he will continue to make mistakes and God will continue to use him for the work of God's people. I wonder how you are being asked to get involved. Perhaps it is with second course or walk-in ministries, with caritas or godly play. Perhaps it is as a church school leader or a youth leader or some other ministry for which your heart burns with a passion. We are all being asked to reach beyond our individual lives and connect with a wider tapestry of God's people. So friends, let us come away from our hiding places. Let us remember who is in charge. And then, joyfully, let us get to work. Let us pray together. Lord, you arrive in the midst of our life, in the unexpected places and people along our path. Help us to see. Help us to acknowledge your holiness. And Lord, help us to respond. Amen.